You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. People knew Detlef as an athlete and then grew to know him as a philanthropist and made a huge impact on the Seattle community and a little bit beyond that. That's the voice of Nicole Morrison, Executive Director of the Detlef Shrimp Foundation. I'm Jeff Schulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast examines what a return of the NBA franchise Seattle Supersonics could mean to the city's residents in need. To explore this question, this episode gives you an inside look into the work of one of Seattle's star athletes. While any basketball fan in the mid-90s recognizes the contributions Detlef Schrempf made on the court, this episode gives you unique insights into the lives he changed off the court. Recognized as a three-time NBA All-Star, the first German-born player to lead a team to the NBA Finals, and the player of choice for video game fans who loved NBA Jam, Detlef Schrempf left an indelible mark as a player for the Seattle Supersonics. But as a citizen in our community, his reach extended well beyond basketball enthusiasts. In this episode, Detlef Schrempf Foundation Executive Director Nicole Morrison describes what it was like to work with a key player in the Sonics' run to the NBA Finals. She describes the impact he has made and what she hopes that means for future Sonics players. You'll also hear Detlef Schrempf himself explain what motivated him to give back to the city of Seattle. And to give context to his efforts, I asked Lauren Henry to share how Detlef Schrempf's foundation impacted her life. We are in the midst of Seattle Growth Podcast's second season, exploring how a return of the Sonics would impact you and life in this city. As both a hallmark of the city's dramatic growth and a potential catalyst for further transformation, efforts are underway to bring the NBA back to Seattle. And whether you are a basketball fan or not, what the city does next will affect you and your fellow community members. Today's episode gives insight into the positive impact that professional athletes have the potential to make in their communities. Moving beyond the realm of sports, today's stories also demonstrate the kind of difference anyone can make in the lives of others. To hear what it was like to work with the Sonic star in changing lives while the team was the talk of the town, join me as I sit down with the executive director of the Detlef Shrimp Foundation, Nicole Morrison. I am here with Nicole Morrison. Nicole, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Why don't we start by having you tell me just a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a native of eastern Washington, but um, I actually graduated from WSU a few years ago, decades, I mean, and uh, moved over here, and this has been my home since 1983. And are you a basketball fan? Oh, yes, definitely. What has basketball meant to you? Well, I loved it when I was going to college. I loved the energy. I loved walking into the Coliseum and just having all this um, phrenic energy going on. And then uh, when I landed the position with the Detlef Trump Foundation, um, I, same sort of thing, but on a you know much higher level of walking into Key Arena and you know having the the smoke bombs go off and the flashing lights and, you know, just the excitement of community, you know, coming together to watch this highly entertaining game. Tell me about the Detlef Shrimp Foundation that that you've worked with. Well, um, I actually was working for Boyer Children's Clinic um, at the time doing their special event fundraising. Detlef was approached by one of the board members and KJR Sports Radio and asked to host a celebrity golf classic. And he was just in town, just, you know, starting with the Sonics. 
Ann was um, excited to be here, and, and he's a very committed guy, so he took a look at what it was and um, said, yeah, I'll, I'll host the celebrity aspect of this golf tournament, um, but I'll commit to three years. I don't want to just be a fly-by-night. So they were very excited about it. We were, I was excited as well, getting to know them. And so the first Detlef Shrimp Celebrity Golf Classic launched, uh, I believe it was 93, and um, I became their executive director in 96 when they became more organized and wanted to start the Detlef Shrimp Foundation. So what we do is we are a special event fundraising entity. We don't have um, special programs, but we can fundraise for organizations. And so let's talk you for a minute. What has that foundation meant to you personally? Um, well, I, you know, I graduated in uh, communications and advertising sequence. Um, I never thought I'd be running a nonprofit um, special event um, charity, but uh, it has brought me so much closer to um, the aspects of volunteerism and philanthropy and um, the in immense need in the community and how we can best serve the needs of the community. Um, so it's just been a so fulfilling. It's been a, just a gift of a job for the last 23 years, for sure. And what are some of the things that you and, and Detlef have tried to accomplish? Well, um, and it's it's me, it's Detlef, and it's Mary Shrimp, too. She's um, uh, so involved in the foundation and has been. They, they both are really the founders of this. Um, we had kind of a broad mission of um, children and families, um, and then uh, we just kind of went with our hearts on what was happening in our in the community at this at that certain time if it was a homelessness or foster children or medically fragile children that sort of thing and we typically would steer towards um, smaller organizations where we can make a bigger impact because we didn't know how much we were going to raise you know in the early years um, so we didn't uh, didn't really want to join the the huge ranks of fundraising where our little five thousand dollar grant was gonna you know kind of fall to the wayside. And what kind of needs in the community are, are closest to your heart, and why? Uh, developmentally disabled children. I have a developmentally disabled daughter, and um, we've met so many people through this journey, whether they were sponsors or guests of the gala or uh, golf tournament uh, sponsorships that have developmentally disabled kids in, in their family. It's, you know, it's almost like, and I don't mean to belittle this, but it's almost like cancer. You, you know somebody that has cancer, and it's the same way with autism and um, Down syndrome and, like my daughter, just global delays, you know somebody there within your family or within your community that's dealing with those issues. How many children would you say that you've been able to affect through the Detlef Shrimp Foundation? You know, that's a really good question because um, I don't know if you know this, but we're closing our doors at the end of the of the 2017. So I've been, you know, gathering information on organizations that we've um, impacted, and it's over 140 uh, nonprofits that we have impacted in some way, mostly in the Seattle and Portland area because we worked in Portland when um, Detlef was playing for the Blazers. So I would have to say that's going to snowball into probably hundreds of, of children and, you know, dozens of families that were impacted. And um, a lot of them are still within our universe coming back to us as adults and telling us how their life was changed because we supported an organization that was supporting them. 
What's the most memorable story of the impact that Detlef has had on the community here of Seattle? Oh, boy. Um, there are a few of them. Just having some really long, uh, long-standing relationships with some of the organizations that we served. Um, we started with um, Rise and Shine, which was a support organization that um, supported young adults, children that were living with HIV or AIDS in their lives. Just knowing and seeing um, some of these young kids grow up through what was a very taboo subject and then, you know, know that they can come out and they have support and love and to see them blossom and become um, students at universities and then productive citizens in the community. I think, you know, it's just nice to see um, someone grow through a process of difficulty and find the resources that they need to find in order to grow and then be productive and, you know, happy in their lives. Why is it shutting down this year? So it really was kind of, uh, we never thought it would go past five years. And here we are going into our 24th year. So um, we all feel good about it. We all feel good that, you know, 19 million raised to this point is a fine number to go out on. You know what I mean? (laughs) Take me back to those early days when you were just getting started. Was this unusual or was this common uh, for the Sonics players to try to raise money for the local community? Well, they certainly have a commitment within the Sonics organization. I mean, they have a community relations department that um, really tries to uh, engage them in the community in all different ways. But I'd have to say Detlef was completely out there doing stuff on his own without anybody um, asking him to. I mean, he made regular visits to Ronald McDonald House and, and Children's Hospital without any incentive, without any asks. And so take me back to the mid-90s when the Sonics are in the NBA Finals and uh, the city's somewhat captivated by what somebody uh, you're working with is doing. What was it like back then? Oh, gosh, it was so exciting. It was really cool. Detlef... Um, had written into his contract that he would um, get 40 home game tickets to every Sonics game, and then he would give them to me to give out to charity and that sort of thing. 40 is a lot of tickets, you know, and he did that in Portland too, which was great. Um, So it was just really cool to be able to call first place school or um, Special Olympics or Ronald McDonald House and say, hey, do you have any kids that want to go to the game tonight? I mean, it was a full-time job almost in that, but just so rewarding to get these kids there. And then the meet and greets afterwards, you know, Detlef always made himself available. And um, it was a really exciting time. And, you know, everybody, you know, everybody loved the Sonics and, and all the the players were actually so close to each other. It it was a lot of family and a lot of um, hanging out together and doing things with us and our special events together. I mean, we we put together a blackjack tournament um, up in Everett, and almost all the Sonics came out and played. They knew that they could do stuff outside of what their obligation was to the Sonics Community Relations Department, too, and have fun at it. And what do you think about a potential return of the Supersonics here to Seattle? Fingers crossed. You know, I'd love to see it happen, um, and I really think it will eventually happen. And how do you think a return of the Sonics would affect you personally? I'd probably like to invest in light rail. 
<laughs> to get down to the stadiums. But um, I would, you know, I'd probably come out for a few, but we'll see. It's different. It's different now that, um, you know, you don't have 40 free tickets to every game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it- and if the Sonics do return and you could get a message to the future players based off of your experience, what would you ask of them? Well, I'd say you don't have to you don't have to open your own nonprofit. You don't have to start your own 501c3 nonprofit, you know, to make an impact. Find um, a charity that you want to champion to find the cause that you relate to um, and find that organization that can use you as um, a voice and a name on the door and a way to open doors to donors and sponsors. I mean, that's really the gift that we've had is that Detlef's, been, Detlef's name has been able to open so many doors for our charities that we're serving that um, whenever we do hear of a new athlete that's interested in that kind of work we just make it very clear that it doesn't have to be a full-time position it can just be a cause that you're related to if you could summarize how the Detlef shrimp foundation would be remembered maybe five years down the road what would you say that people knew Detlef as an athlete and then grew to know him as a philanthropist and made a huge impact on the seattle community and a little bit beyond that any concluding thoughts on your experience with the Detlef Shrimp Foundation uh, and or the potential return of the Supersonics? Um, well, I'm just really excited to serve Det and Mary this June and July in a huge fashion to thank them for what they've done. Uh, I'm going to get a little bit here. <laughs> For what they've not only done for um, the community, but, you know, they they changed the minds of people around them on what it's like to live a life of service and that it doesn't matter where your status is in the community, you know, uh, everybody can serve. And I think what my final thoughts are is I want to send them out in style and have everybody have the opportunity to thank them for what they've done. Nicole, thank you for your perspective today, and, and thank you for your work in, in helping those 140 organizations here in the Seattle area achieve their goals. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Next, Detlef Schrempf will explain what motivated him to give back to Seattle. But first, I'd like to announce that I'll be hosting a panel discussion about for-profit solutions to non-profit problems at General Assembly on April 12th. I hope the discussion will spark creative ideas for how to help our community members in need. The event is free and includes a happy hour sponsored by General Assembly. Come by and say hello. To register, just Google General Assembly Start Something Good, and you'll find details there. Now join me as I sit down with Detlef Schrempf to find out how and why he started something good for the people of Seattle. I am here at Coldstream Wealth Management's office here in Lake Union with Detlef Schrempf. Uh, he is a three-time NBA All-Star and two-time Sixth Man of the Year. And he has continued not just to make contributions to Seattle as a supersonic, but continues to bring much more to the city with the Detlef Schrempf Foundation. Uh, Detlef, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. What was most memorable from your playing days here in Seattle as a supersonic? I think it was the atmosphere at Key Arena. Uh, with the fans, the support we had, you know, people talk now about the 12s for the Seahawks. You know, we had that with our sixth man, 
um, not just at the arena, but uh, coming home from, uh, at the airport late at night. There, you know, there'd be a hundred people waiting for us and cheering us on, even after a loss. Um, so it was a really special bond that I think the team had with the city and the community. You've had an unbelievable career in the sport of basketball. What has the sport of basketball meant to you personally? <laughs> uh, well, I was lucky to find it when I did, um, you know, at a, a late age and as a teenager. Uh, and uh, just it became my passion in life. You know, for many, many years, it was uh, the only thing that really mattered. Um, you know, then you kind of grow up, you get married, you have kids, and, uh, you know, life becomes more realistic. But uh, basketball shaped me, uh, you know, obviously provided a, a huge opportunity in life in general uh, to be successful, um, you know, gain a certain status, make money, um, and be able to do other things. And one of those other things that you're continuing to do is um – have the Detlef Schrempf Foundation contribute here in Seattle. Uh, what about your time as an NBA player here inspired you to give back to this community rather than some of the other communities that, that you've also played in? Well, Seattle has been our home. You know, obviously I came over here uh, from Germany, um, played in the state as a high school student, went to college in Seattle, and um, we always had a place here. Even when we played in Dallas or Indianapolis, so we had a we had a house here in Seattle, which we came home to in the summertime. So when I got traded back here, um, we had just started um, doing some charitable work in, in Indianapolis. We did our own little basketball camp um, for kids, underprivileged kids, and we came back here and we thought, okay, uh, we want to get back into the community. Uh, we want to give back to the city that's, uh, the community that's been so good to us. And, you know, dumb and young, and we just started with something, which was a golf tournament, and then uh, it just really exploded from there. And so tell me, now that it's exploded, what, what is the impact that you hope to have on the community with the foundation, or, or what is the mission? Well, the mission is to support children and families in need, but uh, the impact, uh, I don't know, it's hard to measure. To me, it's, it's you know, maybe from a selfish side is uh, when you help somebody, when you see a smile, when you feel gratitude, uh, it's it's a little self-serving. Um, you know, we are, I feel I'm, I'm very privileged. Um, you know, I played basketball. Um, uh, yeah, I went. I was. It allowed me to go to college. Uh, it allowed me to do a lot of things. But I play basketball. Uh, it's not like I'm, you know, saving lives or, or you know, I'm not a fireman or a doctor. Um, it's an entertainment job. So I feel very privileged to have that. And I know there are a lot of people that are not very privileged uh, growing up. Uh, so I would like to even the playing field for some of them or most of them, or whoever is receptive. And uh, I think that's kind of, you know, uh, part of what our job is as a human being. And what is your proudest accomplishment or proudest achievement of the foundation? <laughs> we've, we've had a lot of milestones in 24 years. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of money raised. But I think for us, um, it's creating an awareness that um, anybody can contribute. It's, it's just not about money. It's, uh, <clears throat> I think if, if you're able to give a little time and expose people that don't have whatever you might have or could be taking somebody to a game or t exposing them to something, you know, that they don't have access to, um, it opens up uh, avenues and it opens up, you know, uh, hope. 
And, uh, you know, that, that to me is huge. And for us, it's, we're trying to enable more people to be part of that with our events because it, uh, it brings people together. They have a good time doing it. Yes, they write checks. They give money for the causes we support. But hopefully it, it takes them a little step closer to, uh, you know, reaching out and touching somebody. And do you have any personal stories of somebody that you've seen able to achieve their dreams because you or the people that have helped the foundation have reached out their hand to help them? Oh, yeah, totally. We, you know, we started out our first year with uh, Boyer's Children Clinic. Uh, Boyer's Children Clinic, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, you were dealing with, you know, kids one to three uh, that had severe issues. And, and, you know, some of those kids have gone on to go to college. So it's just amazing. I hear it from parents all the time saying, oh, you know, my, my son went there, you know, 15 years ago, or 18 years ago, and he just applied uh, to college here and there. And, and uh, you know, those are the stories where, yeah, I'm not in direct contact with them, but we know we help make a difference. Um, you know, met a lot of kids over the years. And again, you go through phases, right? I think in the early ages, in the early stages of our foundation, we did a lot of visits to hospitals and things like that. You know, then you have your own kids growing up and with issues. So you spent more time on that. Um, and now, you know, our kids are grown and, and they, you know, our youngest has special needs. So he has other issues of how to, how to make it in this world as a adult with disabilities, you know, so there, so our focus, you know, continues to shift too. Um, and there are lots of causes out there. And if someone's inspired by the work that you're doing with the Detlef Shrimp Foundation, how can they get involved and, and why should they? Well, you can always not just help us. You can help, you know, anybody. You can, uh, there are never enough volunteers, and there are never enough volunteers that actually participate, uh, you know, be in front of the kids and children in need. Um, so if not us, there are a lot of organizations, and we point them in the right direction. Um, you know, for me, it's just give it a chance because, uh, yeah, everyone is busy, and you know people struggle to make money, but uh, it pays you uh, back multiple times. And switching gears to the Supersonics, that the family that, that you were a part of, um, what went through your mind when you learned the NBA franchise would leave for Oklahoma City? Well, first, uh, you know, I think I did the same thing most people did: we denial that no, oh, it's not happening. It's you know, it's not going to happen, uh, and it did. Um, and you know, there was a lot of disappointment and anger. Um, and I, I think I was a director on the wrong people. Uh, I didn't really look at Oklahoma City stealing it um, or Howard Schultz selling it. I looked at it that we as a community gave up and let this happen. Um, and that was disappointing that the, that the Sonics didn't matter as much. Um, yeah, maybe not to the general public, but to the leadership of this community, especially the politicians. So that to me was very disappointing uh, in and so I was disappointed in the city and the leadership. Um, but then also was ignorant because I thought, oh, we'll get a new team in three, four years. You know, we'll get a team back. You know, the other team's hurting. So, uh, and here we are, you know, all these years later, and we still don't have a team, and it doesn't look like we'll get one soon. So some, it doesn't look like we'll get some soon, and, and to others, it seems that there's a little bit of momentum building up. Uh, so there's some steam as the Soto Arena Group is looking to build an arena, and there's now a request for proposals to revamp uh, what was called Key Arena. What are your thoughts on a potential return of the Supersonics uh, to Seattle? Oh, it would be phenomenal. Uh, I don't see it happening right now. Uh, you know, there are only two 
two ways you can get a team, and that is uh, by getting another city to move. So some team has to be in financial trouble or by expansion. And I think with a new TV contract and revenue sharing, there aren't really any teams in trouble. Uh, and expansion means that the ownership has to uh, agree to split their pot a little bit you know, more. So I don't see that happening right now. Uh, I, I wish it, it will, but um, we'll see. And if it does happen, what would you ask of future Sonics players here in the Emerald City? Well, we used to have an amazing culture here of, of many, many players living in the city. Even players that, that you know, were from here, played here, played on other teams, and they would come back and spend the summers here. Um, and we'd have, you know, great summer workouts. Um, you know, there'd be a, a dozen or more pro players here. And uh, we still have a few, but uh, not so many because we don't have a team. So there's no reason for people to be here and there's no training facility to use. There are no, you know, pickup games to play in. So it's it's really tough, and uh, and I want that culture again because that encourages people to be invested in the community. Uh, the NBA is like any other job in some ways that you know you're there and then you're not. So careers have gotten shorter with a single team. It used to be, you know, if you're six eight years and and playing for one team, that was normal. Now if you're playing for one team for three four years, it's yeah that's oh wow he's been there for a while. So it's really hard to build a long-term relationship with the community because you might be gone the next season. Uh, I hope that if we get a team and we get a solid base of players here that they're committed to the community for a long time. And what do you see as the benefit to the players themselves to be committed and involved in the community? You know, we're a big city, but we're a small community. Everyone knows each other. Um, We are right now, and we've been living in it for quite a while, we live in a bubble. Uh, you know, this is one of the, the best places to live in, in, the, in the world, not just, you know, from obviously scenery and, and quality of life, but financially. Uh, we're doing well here. So you have some of the, you know, best leaders of companies anywhere in the world. So there's a huge opportunity for players to build their brand like the Seahawks have done and build partnerships with businesses and, uh, you know, and look for that next opportunity down the road and, Look for you know life after basketball. Uh, so this is a great place to be and um, a community that's supportive. So if you do want to get engaged in the community, there are a lot of people to support you. And what would a return of the Sonics and a more vibrant basketball community, professional basketball community here in Seattle mean to you personally? Well, we are a big city. You know, we we should have a pro team. Uh, we we need an indoor sports. You know, we can't always sit in the rain with Husky. Uh, football games or Seahawks football games or Sounder football games. We need a you know winter indoor sport and and we deserve it. We're a great city and uh, and I think we have a community that's very supportive of the Sonics and uh, and with that you know getting a team will get a lot of good guys in here that's supportive of the community. Detlef, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and, and hearing your perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, I get a personal story from Lauren Henry about how her life was changed by Detlef Schrempf. But first, I thought I'd plug a new selective work-compatible MBA program being offered by the Foster School of Business. Created to fit a busy lifestyle, the hybrid MBA enables working parents, frequent business travelers, and young professionals to learn where they are while also taking advantage of the region's unique, dynamic, and innovative business community to advance their careers. Search Foster Hybrid MBA to find more details. 
Now join me as I sit down with Rise and Shine alum, Lauren Henry. I'm here at Storyville Coffee with Lauren Henry. Lauren, thank you for joining me today. Of course, I'm happy to. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Um, That's a really broad question. Well, I'm going to talk about what brings me to meeting you, um, my relation with Rise and Shine. I've, I've grown up in the program, and now I'm an alumni, I guess, if you, if you will. I'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about what Rise and Shine is. Um, I have two kids that live on Bainbridge, so that what's, that's what brings us to Storyville now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about Rise and Shine. Um, so Rise and Shine, back in the day, was um, for kids affected by HIV and AIDS. In the more recent years, it was rebranded and um, became Inspire Youth Project, um, and then it, it has since in the process of closing. I think there may still be a website, but they're in the process of closing and shutting down. In what capacity have you interacted with Rise and Shine? A lot. Um, so I became involved in the program when I was nine. My dad had AIDS, um, HIV at the time, and he passed away when I was 12. So I first became involved with the program at that age. Um, at nine, I was attending their summer camps. So they, they have, um, they had three main programs, summer camps, a mentorship program, and support groups. Um, when he, my dad passed, even though I was living in Bellingham at the time, they found volunteers who would drive my brother and I down every week for the support groups, which were just amazing blessings at that time, because it's uh, obviously losing your, a parent at 12 years is a tough. Um, experience, let alone from AIDS, where we weren't really able to talk about it at home and with school friends. And so Rise and Shine was a, a strong beneficiary of the Detlef Shrimp Foundation. Correct. Take us back to when you were age nine, and what was life like? What was the struggle before Rise and Shine? You know, it's hard to, to talk about because um, Rise and Shine kind of came into my life at almost the same time my parents told me about my dad's diagnosis. So before his diagnosis and all that was aware, we were just a pretty typical family. Um, my parents had gotten divorced a year earlier, but other than that, we were just kind of your, your typical family. Um, the year that he was diagnosed and, and that we kind of came to know all that and they divorced, it was a tough year. Um, he came out that he was gay and he, that he moved out, obviously. Um, and so it was for my brother and I, it was a lot of changes at one time. And on top of that, having AIDS in the family at that time was something my parents said, we're not going to talk about this with our friends. This is just something in the family. So Rise and Shine's immediate and biggest um, benefit for us was just that it was a place where we could talk to whoever we wanted about it because it was a safe place. What were you feeling at that time before you were able to talk to people at Rise and Shine? Um, you know, when you're nine and your parents tell you that they have AIDS and that they might die it's just hard to understand it's hard to understand what that means and what I mean I remember my my mom trying to explain it that dad had bad blood and that didn't make no sense Um, so rise and shine for me um, I went into the experience just scared and just feeling alienated and feeling alone Um, and so rise and shine was the place that kind of took away that it it took the fear out of the disease. There was all of a sudden all these people who said, it's okay to talk about it. You, you can say what you need to. Um, and it's okay to feel what you feel. You know, after he died, too, there's a lot of emotions that you go through with the stages of grief. And, um, and each of those stages, they embraced us. And so it was just a really safe place for whatever we were feeling and at whatever stage we were in, in the, his diagnosis and the process of his passing. And do you recall, was Detlef Shrimp involved in your process of going to Rise and Shine at that time? Um, I re- remember the early years of their foundation being involved. Um, 
I remember being probably nine or ten. It was probably really early in the program. Um, and they had a, like a sleepover at a YMCA. And Detlef and Janet, the founder of the organization, came by. Um, and of course, at that time, it was amazing to see this tall basketball player. And he came in and played with some of the kids, played basketball with some of the kids in the gym, signed all of our um, Sonic stuff that he gave us. I don't even remember what it was, but um, but he yeah he came he was involved he was involved um, at, at that level. But more importantly, he was involved in the funding. Um, he knew about the programs and he he had a, a small presence at them, but. His biggest part was the foundation that he created and funding and creating funding for Rise and Shine. And what impact would you say Rise and Shine had on your life? That's hard. That's hard to say um, to speak to because it would be like asking you to say who would you be without your family. You know, it was just that big of a, a part of my life. Um, I especially as my dad had passed and and I continued with the organization. Um, it was just this really special place that. Even whatever was going on at home, whatever age I was, um, I always had summer camps there. And they held um, retreats and other events throughout the year. So it was just a special place that was always there. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how I could fully describe their impact, but it's huge. It was huge. And then so you've gone on to contribute your time and efforts to Rise and Shine. Tell me about your experience on the other side of it. So after college, I was really interested in, in finding a career path that gave back just because that was such a huge factor in my upbringing is just so many people. That was one of the unique things about Rise and Shine is volunteers, 50 plus volunteers would come every summer to make this summer camp happen for us. Um, so that, that was a huge mark. Um, eventually was their program manager. So I kind of came full circle and became um, one of the facilitators of our support groups and ran our summer camp and mentor program. And so now this is years after Detlef Schrempf has retired from basketball and has left the, the Supersonics. Did he still participate in what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. As, as staff and working with, with Rise and Shine in that capacity, I saw a whole new light. Um, I know that they were a fundamental part of Rise and Shine's um, income and financial success every year. Again, um, the, we worked more directly with the foundation, but it was huge. It, it, sustained, it was a huge sustainer of Rise and Shine, even that many years later. So for the many people who aren't necessarily touched by HIV and don't see themselves or their children needing something like Rise and Shine, what is the impact of Rise and Shine on them? You know, I think it's like a lot of diseases and issues that, that people face in society. I mean, we all have our own path to walk. Um, and it's hard, you know, you can't have empathy for every single path that somebody's taken because you just can't relate to every single experience. But it's sure nice to know that there's support and there's people out there who have compassion and care about that experience. And, um, you know, whether they're a child or an adult, that that must be a scary thing that they're going through and that there's somebody who's been there to help them through it. What do you remember of Detlef Schrempf getting involved in Rise and Shine? I remember the year, and this is all just from my child memory, so it may be off a little bit, but I do remember the year that I, the foundation became involved with Rise and Shine, and it kind of felt like the year that Rise and Shine grew up. Um, before that, Camp Janet, our founder, was always kind of a make it happen kind of mindset, and we had our summer camp in a field, and it, they were camping, so we, we had tents, and um, after 
Detlef and the foundation became involved, we moved to a summer camp, an actual YMCA camp that had cabins and a cook, and um, it just kind of felt like we grew up that year. So when you were 9, 10, and 11 and going through that difficult time in your life, was basketball on your radar? Um, I played basketball in third grade, but nothing huge, no. <laughs> and are you a basketball fan now? Um, not so much. <laughs> Probably not what people want to hear, but not so much. <laughs> I, I'll watch it. <laughs> so what do you think of a potential return of the Supersonics to the city of Seattle? I mean, I think with any sports team, I, I could get behind that because because of my intera interaction and um, just knowing what Detlef brought to to Rise and Shine. I know that was one person, and he he made the world a difference for Rise and Shine. So I, any bigger pool of, of athletes in our city is a good thing. One, it takes one of them to make a bigger difference. And if you can get a message to the future athletes of Seattle, whether they're in basketball, hockey, or the existing sports here in the city, what would you say to them? I think I would tell them um, the Detlef has been an amazing model, at least for Rise and Shine, because, again, he's one person, but his foundation is such an example of what can be done from one person. Um, I hope that's inspiring, and I hope that that's reason enough to at least engage in one city and, and to find some passions. Um, I'm not actually sure. I'd be curious to know what brought Detlef and made him interested in Rise and Shine specifically, but I'm sure glad he was. Um, we were a smaller organization. We weren't one of the big names, and yet he, he picked us, and he took us under his wing, and we're forever grateful for that. Lauren, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you sharing your story and your perspective here today. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share about the role of professional athletes in supporting our community? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I'm eager to hear your perspective. I've enjoyed seeing many people voice their opinions on the subjects from previous episodes. We are more than halfway through the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast, exploring what a return of the Sonics would mean to you and life in this city. And it is great to see how many people want to participate in this discussion. Thanks to all the activity on social media from you, my listeners, I've been contacted by members of the Uptown Alliance and the Oakview Group, which is expected to respond to the mayor's request for proposals on the Key Arena remodel. I'll be extending the season to give a closer look at what our Key Arena remodel would mean to the surrounding area and Seattle as a whole. And still to come on this season is a look at how the skyline and residential real estate prices would likely be affected by a return of the Sonics and the chosen arena location. Next week, we will continue the exploration of the potential impact of a Sonics return on community members in need. We will focus on the work of the Lenny Wilkins Foundation. You'll hear from three-time Basketball Hall of Fame inductee Lenny Wilkins. Once you get established, you're in a position then to give back to the community. And I think that our young people need motivation. They need people to talk to them about living their lives, okay, about taking care of themselves. And we need to set examples. And what better way than to have athletes do it? You'll also hear from Dr. Ben Danielson. Dr. Danielson builds a brighter future for Seattle's children through the Odessa Brown Clinic, which has been greatly supported by the Lenny Wilkins Foundation. So anything I do to enrich the life of my neighbor, even the neighbor far away that I never meet, is actually also selfish. It also improves my own life. And that's true, according to science, there's this uh, really important role then that a mentor with all of the credibility and chops of being the winningest coach in basketball history, um, that kind of a person can have a real influence. And when you 
build in the sense of social responsibility and giving back and supporting the people around you, when you do that when a kid is really young, that stays with them forever. While the debate continues about what the city should do to facilitate a return of the Sonics, next week gives you a better understanding of how a return could affect our community members in need. I hope you'll join me next week. In the meantime, please subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast for free on iTunes. Last week, I called upon listeners to rate the podcast in iTunes, and someone left a review worthy of framing. Thank you to that anonymous reviewer, and thank you to anyone else who's willing to take the time to share thoughts on the podcast or the issues covered. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I appreciate you joining me on this journey in the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast.